Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hello. Hi. It's still your stepbrother's girlfriend with the pet rat because old Allie Ward is back for yet another episode on Mars. I'm not on Mars because honestly... Fuck that. I get lonely, like, on business trips. I'm on a business trip right now in a hotel room outside of Detroit. I'm a little lonely, but I understand there are fireflies outside, and I'm just waiting for it to get dark. But yeah, so this episode is on Mars. If you haven't heard part one yet, like, what are you doing here? What are you doing? There's so many spoilers, such as the fact that we just found fish in a dry lake bed on Mars. So we talk about that in part one. Wait, is that true? No, it's not. But go back and listen to part one anyway. Part one will give you all the primers you need on what is Mars deal? Why is it cold? Why was it named after the deity of battle? What's up with its two moons? One named after the fear and the other the dread that accompany war. And why does one of them crash and reform itself over and over again? And how many rovers are up there? And what happens when you give birth to a moon rock? And where is the next rover going? And what is the best Martian sci-fi? Okay, all of that in part one. But now on to part two, all the weird, juicy questions you guys asked about Mars and had answered. But first, I'm going to be quick. Ologiesmerch.com. This is the part where I shout it out. There are hats and shirts and totes and pins and backpacks, y'all. There's bathing suits now for summer, and I decided to have a summer sale. So through July, you can enter Camp Ologies for 10% off your whole ding-dang order. So get yourself something nice. Um, sales support the making of this podcast, as does becoming a patron at patreon.com. You can do so for as little as a buck a month because I like to keep thresholds of showing your love pretty low. Also, if you spent all your money on otter pops and inflatable pool unicorns, that's okay, I get it. Um, you can support Ologies even by rating or reviewing or subscribing via iTunes. That keeps old podcast van dad ward up in the charts for others to kind of stumble on. And also, you know, I read your reviews. I do it every week. I just want you to feel seen. And then to prove it, I read one each week. Because also, it's really delightful that you guys even write that. So this week, first off, I want to say get well to Sarah Maya, who left a review about snapping her fibs and tibs on a trail run. Whew, get better, man. Also, Justin So wrote, had to go to an Apple store to leave a review. I know how important iTunes reviews are for Uncle Al. So I may or may not have gone to an Apple store, used a MacBook there, and left her this five-star review. I love this podcast and have been binge listening to it. Also, thank you to No Nicknames Left, who says, remember when Discovery Channel, the Learning Channel, and the History Channel weren't 
just all aliens in reality TV? Remember when you could randomly find a documentary on the Three Gorges Dam in China and would just be sucked in for the duration? Ologies is that. So thank you guys so much for leaving those reviews. I read, I just read three of them. I normally just pick one. But today, I just, I just wanted to say thanks to more than one person. I, but I do, I read all of them that you guys left this week and you're just charming. You're charming human beings. But let's get the heck back on Mars. Do you want to? Okay, good. So first off, many of you were like, Ward, areology, is that got something to do with nip slips or what? And sadly, no. Areology comes from Ares, the Greek god of war. So Mars is his Roman stage name. And the nipples areola region comes from the Latin for little garden, which I don't know, maybe that says something about Roman breast hair. I'm not sure. I just wanted to answer that oversight of the part one episode. That should have been the first thing I even talked about. Everyone's like, how did you not talk about areolas? So boom, part two. I did it. Okay, speaking of questions, let's now commence the part two of all listener curiosities answered in very squeaky chairs at Caltech by the very prepared and enthusiastic, wonderful, hilarious, brainiac, interplanetary rock enthusiast and areologist, Dr. Jennifer Booz. One million questions for you. Okay. Is it okay if I ask you one million? Yeah. Okay. So many questions. I love that you <laughs> know you are a patron. <laughs> You've looked at some of these. Yeah. You've looked at all of them? The ones that were posted as of a few hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, this is what I want in someone who studies other planets is this level of, like, detail and preparation. Like, this gives me faith in the space program. Well, I didn't. I didn't want to leave anyone hanging. You're amazing. This is amazing. Okay. Well, then, in that case, I'm going to do them out of order. Oh, my God. You're amazing. You have notes written up. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. I'll put my notes away. Maybe. All right. You can, re you can reference them. <laughs> you can reference them if you need them. Okay. This is... The level of preparation is, like, warming my heart right now. I was now. excited. Dude, you rule. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do them a little bit out of order. You go for it. Uh, Jessica Tubasang wants to know, was the God of War being named Mars a suitable choice? The God of War being named Mars, was it a suitable choice? Yeah, so I thought about it. And okay. so the reason they named it that is because it's red. And so there were, like, blood and war and stuff. Ugh. And so I was thinking, like, are there other planets that would be like more warlike and I think maybe not planets but like moons that have a lot of, a lot of volcanoes and they're like turbulent kind of they're kind of more angry but I do like that Mars I think it's appropriate because it also has volcanoes and it has like ash deposits and stuff so you know that like stuff was exploding Ooh. and uh but it, it also has these like catastrophic flood events that we think happen so like oh. you know, like huge amounts of water just like flowing over a surface and like um, so it is like it does have some like super active processes and so yeah, I think it is appropriate I like it and I like that it's red I think a lot of people figure this is I'm saying a lot of people I mean me because it's red we associate that with heat and we associate like Mars with like fury and fire I think it's hard to wrap your brain around how cold it is yeah now now it's cold I, I mean I remember I asked a question of um, of a friend who works at JPL 
I was like, how do these rovers withstand the heat? And they're like, uh, hey, bitch, it's cold there. And I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it too. Like, I was like, would Venus be better for a war planet? Because it's really hot on the surface of Venus. But then I was like, the volcanoes on Venus are like the lava from Hawaii, which is like really flowy and it's not very explosive. And I was like, that's not very warlike. Okay, so. that's a good point. Yeah. How do you feel about the, the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? I don't know anything about that book. It's garbage. Okay, next question. Stu wants to know, what is the latest stance on Mars habitability with regards to things such as bone density deterioration and other physiological aspects from reduced gravity and cosmic radiation? Biologically, could we deal with Mars? Yeah, I think it takes a lot of engineering, but we could. The moon is like one-tenth the gravity of Earth, I want to say, and Mm -hmm. Mars is about one third the gravity so there's still gravity on mars and so it's like probably not going to be as bad as like other places you go for example like the space station where there's like no gravity Mm -hmm. um so you you can be a human i feel like on mars um but yeah you got to take your other stuff with you like your air and your water and your food (laughs) yeah it's like byoe like bring on everything yeah exactly for reals it's like yeah but it's not impossible okay yeah cool um Greg, Ariel Belk, Craig Curry, and Jorge Barnett all ask the same basic question. Okay. So this is a super question. Okay. In light of the giant dust storm that seems to have knocked out the curiosity, what is the most useful to humanity right now information that it has collected since its arrival to the red planet? So questions about dust storms. Yeah. And what's the best stuff that the rovers have gotten? Um, Okay. So like I was thinking about this a lot. Uh, what's the best stuff the rovers have gotten? And I think that, um, like, seeing that Mars was habitable in the past was probably the most interesting and maybe useful to humanity kind of thing because we can see, like, how we see how Mars has changed um, with time and, like, how Earth might change with time, too, and also, like, what the um, different extremes, like, that we can have on different planets are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, like, super interesting. Um, and then, yeah, the dust storm... I don't know. It's just like a cool global phenomenon. <laughs> but yeah, for curiosity, we're not super worried about it. Okay. It's the other stuff, the other rivers. And this is a pretty big one. Yeah, it is a. I think it is a global dust storm. And uh, there have been global dust storms that have lasted, I think, like months. Uh, I don't know that they know how long this one will last. Because um, I think it's still getting worse. Um, Ooh. Yeah. The first, like, one of the first satellites they sent to Mars when they got there, it was in a dust storm. So they actually couldn't even really see the surface, which oh, is so frustrating. And it was, like, a flyby, too, I think. Oh, no. So it's, like, not like they could go back. Oh, it's like getting your period on your wedding day. Yeah, maybe. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> um, sorry, Mars. Red planet, indeed. Okay, yeah. Elliot, Anya, and El Martinez both want, both want to know, realistically, how close are we, both politically and technically, to a crewed mission to Mars happening. And by crude, I mean crew, C-R-E-W, not like a crude mission where it's just like... C-R-U-D-E. Yeah, Yeah. like crude. And I'm saying crude because sometimes people still say manned. And let's be honest, it's crude. If you're like, what? Okay, so manned suggests all dudes, which is not accurate sometimes. And also, if we want more women in space, let's not suggest that they do not belong there. So manned is kind of as awkwardly specific as saying woman. Crude, nice and neutral. So saying a manned mission to Mars, just FYI, in today's day and age, is a little crude. Because manned is a little old-fashioned. Yeah, for okay. sure. So like NASA has plans to have humans on Mars by the 20. 20- 
2033, I think there's like a directive or something, but I don't think that there's like actual, a lot of like stuff happening related to that. I'm not positive about that, but that was like, they were like, we will do this. We will do this. And then with like SpaceX, like they want to be on Mars, like in the 2020s. What? Yeah. That's nuts. That's so soon. That's within like 10 years. I 100% have underwear older than that. But yes, NASA and SpaceX have crewed Mars missions on their 10-year to-do list. So I think that like technologically, I mean, I'm not an, I'm not someone who does this kind of engineering work or whatever, but politically, I think, I mean, like NASA wants to go there and then technologically, I think like we're capable of some pretty incredible things. So oh my God. I don't think it's like impossible. I feel like it seems really soon to me too, though. But I, but like I said, I'm not involved in that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Who do you think they should pick for stuff like that? Um, there's a graduate, uh, not, she was a postdoc in this department and she mm-hmm. was just selected as a, as an <laughs> astronaut last year. Her name's oh Jessica God. Watkins and she studied Mars. Oh man. This lady, Jessica Watkins from Colorado, former rugby player, pilot, 30 years old, and officially an astronaut. I tried to see if she had an Instagram upon which I could fangirl, but alas, I could not find her. So maybe the trick to kicking ass is doing less scrolling of memes and not looking at videos of people manhandling slime late at night. I don't know. But if I ever meet Jessica Watkins, I'm going to ask her for all of the life tips. Her tip will probably be, I don't know, just be me. She's a Mars geologist and now a NASA astronaut. Holy and, like, smokes. I'd be so psyched if she was the one going on that. Does she want to go? Yeah. She's into it. Yeah, she's so into it. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's like, by Earth, you're toast. Yeah. I don't blame her. It's yeah. pretty garbage right now. Yeah. This is a good time to hit the eject button <laughs> on all Earth. Where it's like, well, we fucked this up. Um, Mariner Cosplay, Al Martinez, uh, Ira Kasha... Stefan Titus and Justin M. Gifford all wanted to know what are the biggest hurdles for terraforming and is there an initiative within NASA or another agency to do so? Also, follow-up question from Allie Ward. What is terraforming? I think terraforming, I don't know the definition, but I feel like it's when you make the surface like have grass on it. <laughs> really? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> That's just what I imagine is like what terraforming is. Landscaping. It's yeah. Martian landscaping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you'll have to look that up. <laughs> but- okay. So quick definition here. Terraforming is mostly at present a sci-fi term and it means to transform a planet to be more like Earth, presumably so that we can go live there. So I imagine in the future HGTV will have a whole flipper flop esque series dedicated to making over dry, barren planets into like lush boho habitats of our dreams. All we have to do is just painstakingly alter what already naturally exists. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> yeah. Essentially, what are the biggest hurdles for terraforming? Oh, okay. So yeah, that we don't have a lot of water or oxygen in the atmosphere. Um, there's or or that the atmosphere is so thin in general. So uh, it's either going to have to be like you make the atmosphere thicker um, somehow by like melting the caps or like taking an atmosphere but then you need a shield for the atmosphere so like i think if you like if they existed in bubbles like if we had like a big dome maybe you could kind of start doing that that way Mm -hmm. um where you can like contain your atmosphere and your water and stuff like that yeah so those are the big hurdles and radiation is another hurdle because there's not a lot of atmosphere to shield you from it exactly even though the sun is farther away you're still like 
sizzling. So even if you landscape Mars, you're still going to get a pretty high dose of radiation because of a really thin atmosphere. And also, the place is pretty dry. It's pretty sandy. Now, there is water trapped in minerals, but getting it out would be, in technical terms, uh, a shit ton of work. Which brings up the age-old question of, why bother? Jeffrey Katz wants to know, is it worth the trouble and expense to send humans to Mars, or should we put our effort into more sophisticated robots? Hello, I am a sophisticated robot, and I like French films and expensive coffee. So, robots live for a very long time, Mm -hmm. and you can put all sorts of cool instruments on them, and in that sense, robots may be the way, but, like, humans, like, we've gone to the moon and collected rocks, and it's, like, so useful for a person to just, like, if you walk around and you know what's cool and you pick it up and you put it in your pocket, um, and also be super sick to be on Mars. So that's like really cool too. But then like if you go to Mars, you can't only be there for so long. I mean, without taking like a ton of stuff with you. So like you probably need just like way more stuff Mm -hmm. with you. And so it's going to be like way more expensive Mm -hmm. than just sending like a robot that doesn't need food. It's also, it also seems like a pride thing. Like why, why send humans to Mars when we could have robots? It's kind of like, cause we can. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it'd be cool. Cause we did that. Yeah. But the but robots can accomplish a lot, and we can send you know like ten robots to mm-hmm. Mars like to ten different spots. You know, it's who, just like way cheaper. If you go to Mars and yeah. you pee on it, uh-huh. who owns Mars? Do you own Mars if you just peed on it? Is that how it works, or is it just like in an? In, does the world does Earth even own Mars, or does Venus own Mars? Uh, yeah, I think it's like a big debate. I don't know if necessarily it's debated, but it's a big issue with, with Mars. There's like a whole thing called planetary protection mm-hmm. where like when we send stuff, we have to go through like incredible lengths to make sure that we're not contaminating the planet. Mm-hmm. Like NASA has like, they're like, no, you can't do that. Like you can't even go place place that you think there might be water because they're like, well, if, what if we accidentally took some bacteria and then we accidentally colonized mars you know like there's all this debate about that um but then there's all these like private companies and they're like well we're gonna do it so i don't know we're kind of gonna be trespassing yeah so there is a wealth of information about planetary protection this is keeping space microbes off of earth and also not shipping our gross earth microbes to martians these planetary protections include these complex equations of how many spores per square meter are acceptable on equipment so that we can send it into outer space and the whole thing just kind of reads like a very long-winded like employees must wash hands after using the restroom sign like so duh but also if these rules weren't in place you know some people would be like eh, whatever Okay, Guy R. Thomas wants to know, my daughter wants to know how many different rocks have been identified on Mars and how long does it take to send commands to the rover and get a response back? Okay, so there are many different types of rocks that have been found on Mars, but they're pretty much all the same as Earth rocks. So there's like basalt, which is like what we get, like kind of lava from Hawaii type rocks. And Mm -hmm. then um, there's like sedimentary rocks that like from the lake. So like layered rocks um there's like sandstones like mudstones there are meteorites on mars yeah that came from other places damn yeah um that we found with the rovers there's it's weird to think there's a chunk of earth 
on Mars and someone's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I think that the like, um, they wanted to send a part of a meteorite back to Mars, just like uh, home a little bit. Yeah. But uh, like you dropped this. <laughs> yeah. It's harder, I think, to get a rock from Earth to Mars, like because of their orbits and their distance from the sun. Stuff. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, you know, there's probably is one, though, because things there's been a lot of time in history. Mm hmm. Um, Danny Kay wants to know, is it possible to have a water balloon fight on Mars due to the atmosphere? Yeah. So, um, so yes, in certain places at certain times. So the um, question is related to the fact that water is not stable on the surface for uh, a lot of the time. So it's either it's like too cold. So it'd be ice or it's <laughs> like low pressure. So it would be gas. <laughs> and so like liquid water is not really there. So you'd have like a like a soft like a, a baseball or like a exploding <laughs> balloon. But if you go like low enough elevation, I think you can get um, in some places for brief moments in time enough pressure and enough atmospheric uh, I mean enough pressure and a high enough temperature that you could maybe do that yeah so certain spots and that's why we need to send more rovers is to find out where to have the water balloon fights yeah and also the street value of that water balloon is like millions of dollars because it had to be shipped from elsewhere yeah so that's like having a balloon fight with a gold dust on earth you know what I mean like (laughs) yeah don't even think about a super soaker just asking too much (laughs) so side note for more information on the inventor of the super soaker, who was a NASA engineer. You can see my mini-sode about summer that just went up a few weeks ago. Aestaology should be a word. So it's all about summer in the history of water fights and also melon genetics. Laura Mulligan wants to know, if you were to get bored or tired of Mars, what other planets would you like to study and why? Okay, yeah, so like I already studied the moon and I still think the moon's pretty cool. It's really cute and we can see it from Earth. <laughs> it's really cute. It is really cute. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, it is. Yeah, and it's it's cool that it's like part of, you know, it's part of Earth. There are a ton of small moons, like the moons of Jupiter and Saturn that I think are super fascinating, like the icy, icy moons where there's like water underneath and mm-hmm. super volcanic moons and stuff. Quick check-in on Jupiter and Saturn's moons. So while Earth has one moon, kind of kind of like a sweet elderly couple who fell in love in high school and have just been married for like billions of years, Jupiter and Saturn have more populous relationships with their moons, like just a sexy, consensual poly situation. Saturn has 62 moons and Jupiter has a blessed, auspicious 69, including the icy Europa, which is the star of an upcoming NASA flyby mission and a possible lander way down the line, all on the hunt for interplanetary critters. Despite that these two planets have like moon orgies and literally rain diamonds, perhaps the best planet is just whichever goddamn one you're sitting on. I really like Earth too. I am a geologist and sometimes I like want to spend a little more time thinking about earth yeah do you do that on weekends yeah all the time yeah you just go (laughs) hiking and you're like look at that yeah sandstone Mm -hmm. and that sediment yeah that's got to be great because you know how sometimes you'll go on a hike and if you don't know shit about geology you're like it's a bunch of cool rocks but you kind of need someone to go with you to be like look at that look at that look yeah i know i have a problem right now which is i just moved to flagstaff and i have one friend so <laughs> Flagstaff. So people in Flagstaff should come on a geology hike with me. <laughs> I now I have to visit Flagstaff. Yeah. I feel like you're gonna have some serious Flagstaff friends after this. Flagstaff, hit up Jen Booze at 
bugaboos, B-U-G-A-B-U-Z, on Instagram. Be friends. Enjoy some rock hikes. Yeah, you're going to have a whole posse in Flagstaff. That'd be cool. Okay, Olaf Dotchke wants to know, is it true that the Mars day, which is 24 hours and 37 minutes, better suits the human biorhythm? Yeah, I I think that would be really weird if that was the case. But so like um, the the rover teams when when the rovers first land the first 90 sols they live on mars time so they are they artificially um make their days that long and they Ooh. do operations during that but it's super hard because the earth is not on that time so then then they'd be awake like in the middle of the night and stuff mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to imagine that that's the case but no is idea it, is it only another 37 minutes yeah but it adds up yeah to i mean like think like two days into it you're already like one hour off and yeah. stuff yeah I think it's interesting that we call them days they call them souls souls yeah souls yeah I think that's kind of cute yeah it is yeah so we celebrate the souls of uh, on Mars yeah. that's cute <laughs> um uh Elanth just straight up wants to know is there life on Mars I want to say that there's probably like no way that we took every single bug off the rovers that we sent so like maybe there's like some little microbe still alive and i want to say that you know maybe there were microbes way early on this was a very pregnant pause pregnant with moon rocks maybe Maybe. i'm not gonna say you know what i'm gonna just i'm just gonna say yes okay this is a good prediction because later <laughs> like when they find it you'll be like please see my 2018 interview where I was d- just said definitively yes <laughs> I'm just going to say yes but okay <laughs> um, Christopher Barley had a great question that I didn't even I hadn't considered he says uh, I seem to remember that the northern half of Mars is completely smooth while the southern half is full of craters yeah what's up do we understand what caused this and why the inconsistency yeah, so like uh, I think that maybe the major idea for this is that um, there was a big impact mm-hmm. that that came in like at an oblique angle and just like shaved off the top of Mars, and then it was like low. And there's also a lot of debate about um, the they're called the Northern Lowlands, the Southern Highlands, and so like yeah, the Southern Highlands are like way older, super effed up um, landscapes, and people think that and there's like. Uh, what we think were like catastrophic floods going up there. So there's some idea that there was an ocean up there too, Whoa. which is, may explain that. And then like um, volcanism related to that like impact. So all things that like kind of smoothed it out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so odd. I didn't even know that about, about Mars. Yeah. It's a, called the crustal dichotomy boundary. Oh, a crustal dichotomy. So it's like, it, it's got um, just ha- like half of the crust is high and like effed up and old. And the other half is, low and smooth oh that's so interesting it's Mm -hmm. like it got an acid peel (laughs) (laughs) it's like new it's exfoliated (laughs) yeah on half its face yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was a groupon it was half of an acid peel Um, Thomas Mayer wants to know thoughts on Elon Musk and nuking the poles of the planet what is that question about yeah so there's this idea that like if you want to make the atmosphere of Mars thicker you could just like melt the poles and so all that water and carbon dioxide that's like trapped in dry ice and water ice will be in the atmosphere mm, got it yeah but i love mars it's like really pretty as it is yeah i don't really want to do that so that's my opinion on it and also now that i'm a mars expert 
there's gonna, not going to be an atmosphere to keep all that stuff in, or would that give the atmosphere to keep it in? Is there enough it, of a shield? So, yeah, I don't think you would have to. You'd have to protect it. Okay, it would go away eventually, like the rest of Mars' atmosphere did. I mean, you I'm, weren't careful. I'm pretty much like your coworker now because I know so much, yeah. right? Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Just checking. Um, how do you <laughs> feel about Elon Musk's uh, fetishizing of Mars? Yeah, I mean, like the same. I'd I'd be really sad if I if I looked at Mars and it was just like another Earth because it's so yeah. cool that it's not and it like it's like so fascinating. So I'd be, it's like what you know your favorite desert landscape and then all of a sudden it's a suburb. Yeah, it's like not the same. It's so lame. Suddenly there's a Best Buy on Mars and you're like the fuck. Yeah, exactly. It's like a Chick Fil A. You're like, who are you, Mars? Yeah. Why does Elon Musk have such a boner for Mars? I don't know. He's so horny for it. I'm going to look into that. So why does he love it so much? I'm not quite sure, but he has said that space travel is the best thing we can do to extend the life of humanity. And he said that he wants to die on Mars, just not on impact. Now, in part one of Areology, I mentioned my hardcore, brilliant scientist friends, Casey and Christine, both NASA scientists who introduced me to Jennifer. So the day after this episode went up, Casey and Christine happened to have seen their other pal, the science fiction writer, Kim Stanley Robinson, who I mentioned, he's the writer of these really beautiful books, the Red Mars series that people love. I naturally freaked out and Casey and Christine were kind enough to conduct an impromptu interview with them that they just recorded on one of their phones. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Jennifer. It's Stan Robinson. To get his take about interplanetary habitation. What did a brilliant science fiction writer who owned describing Mars say about us being on Mars? Well, it's a it's a wrong idea. So you don't want a wrong idea hanging out there with the notion that, uh, and I think actually, and maybe it's one of these ideas that floats around the internet at the level of commentary that isn't really thinking. So maybe nobody really believes this idea and it's not that much of a moral hazard. But the notion that we have any other place than Earth um, uh, is is clearly false. And, and it's not that you couldn't terraform Mars, it's just that it might take 10,000 years to do it, and we've got a 100-year emergency that we're living in. So the timescales are badly off, and you don't want to ever think that we've got any other place than Earth. There, one thing that you do keep hearing from people is the idea that if we had 5,000 people on Mars, then they're living semi-independently of Earth, and then Earth was somehow, by some mysterious and basically fictional disaster that everybody on Earth died, that after that, um, those 5,000 people from Mars could come back to Earth, and then it would all be okay. That you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, this is how it's put, that that there should be a backup to humanity itself. To me, the badness of that idea is not only the moral hazard, like maybe we could just go ahead and blow ourselves up, but that that would be any kind of compensation for the loss of so many humans. That humanity isn't that valuable. That if we were to lose all of humanity on Earth and all of the rest of the mammals, etc., etc., who cares if some humans come back 20,000 years later? We probably should have gone extinct at that moment from our own stupidity. <laughs> so uh, I'm completely against that whole line of thought of we need a we need a, an emergency population somewhere else in case we accidentally killed everybody off on Earth. You can't kill off everybody on Earth. We're like cockroaches. The only uh, conceivable thing that might do it is a gigantic asteroid impact. To detect and deflect asteroids that are incoming and save ourselves from a big old bang is the obvious first thing that spacefaring work ought to be devoted to. 
So, saving our species while kicking it on an annex planet while Earth burns? Maybe not a good idea. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And y'all know I have a little dog named Grammy, which is short for Gremlin. And y'all help me name her. And there's nothing that we like more than seeing her happy, which means tasty dog foods. And Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. They were founded in Hereford, Texas. But Grammy doesn't care about that. She cares about smushing her face in it and then licking the bowl. And I don't blame her because they use real ingredients and home-style recipes like real Texas beef and sweet potato or Grammy's pot pie. Grammy's like, Grammy's pot pie. Get away from it. It's mine. I also like that on the bag, they show what's in it. And they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. And I think Grammy appreciates that. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. 
And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Sandy Moore wants to know, how much time and money do we spend studying Mars and the Earth's oceans? Should we focus on one more than the other when it comes to making life better for life on Earth? Like, essentially, why are we studying Mars so much when we are catastrophically fucking up Earth? (laughs) Yeah, there's actually a lot of people say, you know, we know more about Mars than we know about the bottom of the ocean. It's like really hard to study the bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, like, Mars is like a thing that is makes people so curious and like it just like broadens our perspective and so does the bottom of the ocean Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to really say we shouldn't study the bottom of the ocean but um also there's that necklace from titanic down there yeah (laughs) mars like there's a lot of the reason we study mars is because it was like early on in its history was so earth-like and so it's like basically a old version of earth and and it's like so fascinating to see how it evolved and so whereas like i don't know you could say that about the ocean i don't know i don't know maybe i shouldn't compare them so much but (laughs) maybe it's like a cautionary tale yeah yeah you know that could be us like cold and dusty yeah like when you watch careful like e true hollywood story and you're like oh man what happened you know yeah what happened to them so if you ever think that your life is kind of slow and boring just think we are experiencing like a live fast, die young, crash and burn, tawdry, cautionary tale every day just by using plastics and fossil fuels to ruin the planet. That was This was meant as like a lighthearted aside, but now I'm depressed. Anyway, Mars exploration is important both scientifically and existentially, Jennifer says. Okay, so maybe I'm going to say that it's a cautionary tale thing. I think it it serves to like broaden our perspective of life and of the solar system and the evolution of it and and it's just like a great thing for us to think about. So that's how it I think it gives us a little bit more of a perspective. Yeah. Do you think people get Do you think people have a lot of existential crises thinking about Mars and other planets and that this isn't the only planet? Like, do you think that it's psychologically a lot of people kind of grapple with Mars and other planets as a concept? Yeah. 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 I think especially um, when we start to think about uh, life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does it all mean? You know, we're not alone mm-hmm. on this. The Earth's not the only planet. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> how is... big there's like more Earths now, you know, like with oh, all these man. exoplanets being discovered, mm-hmm. uh, super Earths and other types of planets. Yeah. 
Do you think people often like feel very small when they think about these things? Right. But I think it's almost a relief Maybe. to feel like you don't matter. Oh, yeah. There's a relief in that. Like mm-hmm. everything seems so huge. Parking tickets and like <laughs> this person like didn't follow me back on Instagram or whatever. And then you're like, oh, shit, I'm just like a tiny microbe that doesn't matter. Maybe I can relax a little bit. Yeah, unless you start to think that we are the only life, and then you're like, we're the only life, and we're fucking it up. Oh, no. Yeah, you could take it both ways. You're like an only child who ends up, like, being a hellion. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think that having an appreciation, fostering an appreciation for other planets, maybe does make us look back. At least the question is being asked, Sandy Moore, like, should we be paying more attention to our own planet maybe appreciating mars makes us have more more appreciation for our own planet too yeah yeah i don't think that mars research is wasted money at all i think it um inspires a lot of people and it's super fascinating and we learn a lot about it and gives us a lot of perspective so for real yeah i don't think that yeah in terms of like m- how much money we spend on it and stuff i think it's worthwhile right um do you know how much people spend on like hair restoration and viagra yeah like a lot of money (laughs) so just a little fyi the u.s spends about a billion and a half dollars per year on viagra it's like 70 dollars a pill i had no idea it was so costly did you know that don't tell me so the u.s department of defense alone spends roughly 84 million annually on dick pills. So many dollars. So many dicks. Now, Americans spend $800 million a year on hair restoration, and we collectively spend $8.5 billion on manicures in the U.S. every year. So, I don't know. When it comes to what we spend our money on, I have no answers. I have no answers. It's all confounding. I mean, we should probably spend more on food for people who need it and clean water or corn dogs. Hugs are free. I don't know. I don't have answers. Billy Marina wants to know, um, from the data we've gathered so far, have we learned anything from Mars that has significantly changed the way we understand Earth? Yeah. So, okay. So this is, I was thinking about, we compare Mars a lot to early Earth. And so it, in that in that sense, it is a little bit, we have talked about, a little bit about it because it gives us this different perspective of our own planet and like how um, these planets have evolved. But then there's also these like fundamental differences between Mars and Earth. Like Mars doesn't have a magnetic field now. Mars doesn't have plate tectonics. Mars is super iron rich. Like what do those differences mean for us? Like, cause we only have one data point here. Now we have like more info on this other planet and seeing how, those things make it different so that's like those are the like the big things that we learn just like comparatively mars gives us a glimpse into the early solar system and stuff that was going on in that in that early time Ooh. and then we learn like um processes that uh happen on earth could have happened on mars but like in totally different ways like um sand ripples like my friend Mathieu did this work where it's like uh he found these like ripples on sand dunes on mars that like are subaqueous here but like there they're just like because of the mars atmosphere is different they happen oh wow (laughs) so we can compare geologic features and realize that they can be created under two completely different yeah exactly and it's like kind of mind-blowing yeah that's nuts yeah because you're like oh that would this would lead you to believe it's definitely this causing it and it's like 
Not really. Exactly. Ooh, yeah. that's creepy. That's yeah. cool. So that's, I think that's like really valuable stuff. Okay, Baron <laughs> wants to know, since once there was water on Mars, is Mars dust as horrifically nasty as lunar dust? And apparently dust on the moon had no water to erode around the edges. And so it was spiky and super damaging to equipment and fleshy bits like, say, lungs. Yeah. Say. So um, the Mars dust, in terms of like it being sharp and stuff, it's not as sharp as moon dust. So it's just, it's like really fine. It's like just like Earth, a lot of ways of like Earth dust. But it has um, sometimes it has like salts and stuff in it that are really toxic. So like you Ooh. don't want to like you don't want to eat it necessarily but it's not gonna like kill you either i think you, you probably need to wear like a, a dust mask but it's you know otherwise i don't i think it's probably fine and actually they study um they, they there's like experiments where they have like fake mars dirt and dust and they grow stuff in it oh just like thinking about if we could grow stuff on mars so. does it work yeah it does mm-hmm. so from andy weir taking your desiccated feces and mixing them with Mars dust possibly could work. Yeah, I think I think they have to do some stuff to it, but like I think the idea is like could we? And I think the answer is yes. Right. Yeah. Do you guys have to put money in a jar every time someone in your lab says, "Let's science the shit out of this?" No one ever says that. Okay, just checking. <laughs> If someone did, would you guys be like, oh, come on? <laughs> I think so. I think there'd be some <laughs> eye rolls going on. <laughs> Catherine Woodrow and Michelle Sullivan both asked about microbial life on Mars. Yeah. Which type of bacteria do you think would be the most likely to be found? Michelle Sullivan was like, cyanobacteria? Yeah. So like extremophiles, I think for sure. Um, I don't, I couldn't like tell you a specific bacteria, but like extremophiles are um, things that live in extreme places. And so I think that's what we could find there. And I think cyanobacteria there are some cyanobacteria that fit that category and then like the these micro fossils that they thought were in this meteorite those were mm-hmm. magnetotactic bacteria so if it were true that mm-hmm. that were that they were fossils then maybe we could find that there Ooh. and since mars did have a magnetic field it's not totally out of the question that they could have used it interesting yeah and there's a lot of iron there so it's another possibility So, quick aside, I got to tour JPL with my lovely NASA engineer friend, Holly Bender. Hi, Holly. And I was particularly struck by the observation deck that looked into a clean room, which appears to be a scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but with more golden capped on space tape and wires and less candy. And I was like, these people building these rocket ships like do they have to shower 12 times a day every time they come in and out of this room how does this work if i applied to nasa would they hook me up to a lie detector test to find out how often i actually wash my hair how do they know when they're building the rovers and when they're in the clean room that like it's actually clean (laughs) i think they have a bunch of um these like things that measure how many particles are in the air okay yeah so they like have to be below a certain particle count and then i think they also like probably autoclave a bunch of stuff right um but otherwise i don't know jude kenny wants to know what color is the sky on mars are there long sunsets or does it switch to dark quickly and can you see earth from mars okay so the color um of mars the color of the sky on mars is like a a butterscotch color yeah um so the um which we know like from taking pictures and stuff of Mars. So there, there's a lot of like dust in the atmosphere. Um, so it's dimmer. It's like way further from the sun than Earth is. So it's dimmer, but there it's still sunlight, but it's just darker. And so you think, and the days are about the same length. So I guess in a way 
it gets darker quicker, but only because there's less light to begin with, maybe. Ooh. Yeah. But then the dust, like, um, interacts with the atmosphere and the sunlight differently than it does on Earth because it's just, like, super iron-rich dust. And so I think that's why it's, like, a more butterscotch color than here. We have, like, this blue color. I know that asking, like, why is the sky blue is a kid question trope. And I'm always a little embarrassed that I'm a grown adult and I don't really remember why it is blue. It's always like, oh, is the sky blue? I don't know. So if you're like, ugh, me too. I just looked it up for the both of us. So according to a NASA webpage made for five-year-olds, all the colors in the visual spectrum add up to white, but blue light is scattered more than other colors because it travels as shorter, smaller waves. So it scatters, we see it mostly blue. But on the red planet of Mars, the sky is this butterscotch color because of all the iron dust, which got me feeling very entrepreneurial. Hear me out. What if we open a brunch place called Blood and Butterscotch? It's all Mars (laughs) themes. Everything is made of cast iron skillets. It's very iron rich. Okay. It's red. It's really cold but we never turn on the heater <laughs> and we never dust anywhere never dust anything <laughs> it doesn't sound that appetizing eh, she gets points for honesty but like it could have like that um like interesting factor maybe we could only have like freeze-dried food oh yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. composting toilets i'm gonna work oh yeah it. okay kevin mcphillips wants to know uh five-year-old finley mcphillips I'm thinking as a relative, wants to know, (laughs) would a helium balloon still float on Mars? Also, Finley, I'm sorry if you've heard me say the F word like 50 times during the course (laughs) of every podcast. So, um, yeah, I think helium is still like lighter than the atmosphere of Mars. So it it could work, but like, I guess you'd have to. So the way we have like balloons here is that they're buoyant, right? So like they're less dense, but there's like has to be enough density difference including like the weight of the the balloon itself like the plastic so i mm-hmm. think it have if it was designed well i think it it could work but i think um it could be better if it was hydrogen i think the short answer is yes okay um what is one thing about mars that people don't know that would really flabbergast them at a cocktail party um just how like wet it used to be people often ask me like is it true that we found water on Mars? And I'm like, yeah, we found that like a million times already. Like, <laughs> but they, that's the thing that they're often blown away by, mm-hmm. right? But the, I think it's just still, for some reason, not common knowledge yet that Mars used to be this like awesome place that was like not as cold and dry as it is now. It was like wet and just lush pools and spas. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Slimy. Maybe. <laughs> Well, I was just thinking, like, you said lush, and I thought of, like, plants, but, like, in actuality, if there was any life, there would probably be, like, microbes, so it's, like, slimy. Yeah. yeah. That's okay, too. <laughs> um, what about some flimflam about Mars that you'd like to debunk? Flimflam? Yeah, what's, oh. some, what's some real horse shit that you're like, no? Dang. That's a good question. Is it that Matt Damon lives there? So I gotta make water and grow food on a planet where nothing grows. But if I can't figure out a way to make contact with NASA, then none of this matters anyway. Once again, if you didn't listen to part one, number one, what is wrong with you? Why didn't you listen to instructions from your old dad? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Two, also, The Martian recap was a book, then a movie with Matt Damon stranded on Mars. Oh, I think that the, the, the actually, I think that has generated a lot of um, misinformation is the dust storms. Like mm. they are global dust storms, but they are not destructive like that. 
there because the atmosphere is so thin there are strong winds but there's just not a lot of atmosphere so it's like just like a breeze really so like the premise the whole premise of that which is was like the major thing that was wrong with it Mm -hmm. was that they were like stranded because there was that huge dust storm and destroyed their stuff right but yeah not gonna happen because there's not the winds wouldn't create that much force because it's not pushing a lot of yeah molecules exactly. that are in the atmosphere mm-hmm. there things like aren't impacting you as much right because there's not a lot of air that's actually yeah. pushing past i you. think it's like one hundredth the amount of stuff in the air oh my god Something okay like that yeah that is some solid flim flam that you just debunked <laughs> i never would have thought of that because you think about the dust storms and you're like it's pretty much a hurricane full of dust but that's what not. people think yeah they yeah. think it's like this crazy catastrophic thing but yeah no it's just like a little dusty have you been caught in dust storms in arizona or mojave or like have you been to burning man during a dust storm yeah pretty much all of those things have happened really have mm-hmm. you been to burning man yeah how is it um uh, I went in like 2007 and like I had a good time, mm-hmm. but I thought, but I don't know that. Well, I obviously haven't been back. FYI, Burning Man is a festival set on this big dry lake bed in Nevada and it features a lot of Instagram worthy chainmail bikinis and steampunk hats and furry boots and glow sticks and electronic music and for some people, a really sexy Saturn and Jupiter's moon situation. If you catch my drift, kids. So some people really into it. Others, not so much. I didn't do like so many drugs, you know? <laughs> so I think that's how a lot of people have fun. Right. And um, then um, I th- thought it was like a cool experience, but that I could just do that experience not and, and not pay $400 for it. Right. So I think I th- it costs even more than that now. Yeah. I think when I went, I even applied like for a low income ticket. I was like, I'm a student, but I really want to go to this. And then they gave it to me and I sent them like drawing. That's nice. Yeah. But I think you can't do that now. I think it's like really intense. I think it's more intense. But the, what were the dust storms like? They were, I was like really bad. I remember yet I was wearing goggles, but, and I had like a, a bandana over my face. Cause that's what you do there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could have had a dust mask on, but no one has dust masks on. So you gotta get they have bandanas. To yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like people's tents were blowing over and stuff. And I was riding a bike around the playa and like, couldn't see anything like would lose your sense of direction really easily. And it was really abrasive on your skin. So if you need to go down a YouTube rabbit hole and you do, I highly recommend typing in Burning Man plus Dust Storm, also known as a haboob, which is appropriate for a festival that celebrates the freedoms of toplessness. So a user named Just Joe captured one dust storm just ripping into the glamping oasis, and it just looked like it turned it into a science fiction nightmare. It's a haboob! Oh, shit! Also, as long as we're diving into the etymology for areola in this episode, why not follow up with a nugget on boobs? So haboob and boobs, totally different word origins. The meteorological event comes from the Arabic for blowing furiously, while the mammarian features get their names from the German for teats and grandma, bubby. So is this is this podcast getting too weird? Is it getting uncomfortable? I'm just, I just, I'm here to present facts. I just want to give you facts. What were we talking about? Dust storms. So are the dust storms at Burning Man worse than on Mars? 100%. Wow. Sure. Yeah. Way worse. Wow. More art cars, though. Yeah. 
and more. But you can't see them. You can't see them. No. That's really good to know. <laughs> I would never would have guessed that. What is one thing that about your job? That sucks. What do you uh, hate? I guess like some days I don't want to look at pictures on the computer. <laughs> you said that in such a confessional tone, like, <laughs> "Mom, I don't like your meatloaf." <laughs> yeah, I mean it's really cool sometimes, but other times I'm like, "I want to go outside." <laughs> yeah. Can you ever take your desktop and drag it outside and or do you have like four huge monitors? No, actually I could work outside. It's more that like I'd rather be looking at a rock than a picture of a rock some days. I get it. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. It's like looking at a picture of your long lost love. You're like, I'd rather be just hanging out with exactly, you. Exactly, yeah. I get it. And also, like, I do get asked a lot, is it true we found water on Mars? That might be like, maybe my least favorite question. What Although you, maybe it should be my favorite question. But what do you say to that? Are you just like, do you the first time are you like, we did. And then are now you just like, duh. <laughs> yeah, I try not to, but I'm like <laughs> sometimes a little bit too honest. And then I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the opposite attitude I should have for people who are getting excited about Mars, which I love. So maybe that's why it should actually be my favorite question. But I'm, I'm working on that. You gotta, you gotta flip the script. Yeah, I need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Then, what's your favorite thing about Mars or your job surrounding Mars? I love that I can be paid to think about another planet and what it used to be like and what we could have been like and just these like crazy questions that are you know really removed from the day-to-day um but that like that's my job mm-hmm. like because I could have a really practical job but I instead get to do this really out, out of this world thing literally out yeah of this world. and it's like a really cool to be part of these teams. And so you're excited about the 2020 rover. That's the thing that you're stoked about. I'm Yeah, I'm stoked about that. I'm stoked about a lot of things. Anything else that you're just like, <laughs> I'm sorry that I turned into what sounded like a drunk dolphin. That was a happy noise. Like a thing I really want to look at are dry lakes in the Mojave and like relate them to Mars. And so that's like another thing that I'm like super psyched to Ooh. be able to do, hopefully. And any advice to anyone who's like, I want to work on Mars? Yeah, there's so many ways to get involved with Mars stuff. And like one great thing about um, NASA is that all of our data that we get is publicly available. You can, anybody with the internet um, can go on the internet and look at like dope pictures of Mars for free, download data the rover gets. Like anybody can have the same data that the, the scientists who work at NASA have. So you can literally just become, you can just do that on your own and you can go to like seminars and stuff and meet people and read books like there's tons of podcasts and stuff like that there's like a million ways to get involved with nasa stuff and there's lots of nasa outreach um that is like pretty accessible i think to most people thank you so much for being on thank you i was so excited thanks for caring about mars dude i do care about (laughs) mars i love mars even more now great (laughs) it worked so there you have it. I am so much more about Mars than I was before meeting the amazing Dr. Jennifer Booz. Now, to become her friend, either online or in Flagstaff, again, her Instagram, Bugaboos, B-U-G-A-B-U-Z, where she posts photos of insects and rocks, and her website, what a destination on this World Wide Web. It features self-portraits of her as a turtle with octopus hair. It's 
gorgeously perfect. It's J-N-N-F-R dot B-Z. So it's her name, no vowels. Now you can find Ologies at Ologies on Instagram or Twitter. I'm on both at Allie Ward with one L. And to support the podcast, to make future episodes possible, you can head to, if you want to, patreon.com slash ologies uh, for hats and swimsuits and pins and totes. It's ologiesmerch.com. We have you covered. And once again, summer sale code, campologies. 10% off everything in the shop in July. And huge thanks to Shannon Peltis and Bonnie Dutch for helping me run that. And thank you to Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo for adminning the Ologies Podcast Facebook group, which is really full of the internet's kindest and most lovable nerds. No turds among them. It's amazing. Thank you as always to Stephen Ray Morris, who painstakingly pieces these episodes together from a 30-page transcript and makes each episode so, so much better. The music is by Nick Thorburn of the Van Islands. And special thanks to NASA engineer working on the Europa Clipper mission, Christine Corbett at Corbett, C-O-R-B-E-T-T on Twitter, and her husband, Casey Handmer, C-J Handmer. H-A-N-D-M-E-R on Twitter, also of NASA's JPL for being such wonderful pals and supporters of ologies and conducting that supplemental interview with sci-fi writer Kim Stanley Robinson. What a surprise that was. Now, if you listen past the credits, you may know that I tell a secret at the end of every episode. And this one, um, this might be the most embarrassing episode. Um, that's not true. I have more embarrassing secrets. I just haven't told you them, but this is pretty up there. So a few people asked me this week about Mars being in retrograde until August 27th and confession. I just read a whole article about it, even though I don't want to believe in it and I don't, but still I'm like, should I not sign any contracts until after August? But I also just didn't understand what retrograde even was. And it turns out that it just means that it looks like the planet is traveling backwards in the sky, but it's kind of an optical illusion. So I emailed Jennifer and I asked, is there any possibility in any realm scientifically that Mars being in retrograde could fuck with anything for real, like electronics or angering ghosts? And she said, I usually say that an apparent retrograde orbit has no bearing on anything physical because it's literally just a change in perspective, but the orbits are still the same. But as for ghosts, though, maybe they don't understand orbits and they live their afterlives strictly by apparent motions in the sky. So if Mars decides it wants to go backwards, they might also go backwards? Question mark, question mark, question mark. So I believe she was humoring me and entertaining my questions about Mars retrograde. I appreciate it. Okay, keep asking smart people stuff stupid questions because I seriously I think that they love it I think it's good for all of us thank you for listening I heart you all very much bye pachydermatology homeology cryptozoology litology nanotechnology meteorology Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. 
Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel